1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Good evening, everybody. <clears throat> How y'all doing? Uh, getting through the week. What are we halfway through it? Oh, how's it feeling so far? And this is the beautiful thing about a midweek check-in is we can really ground ourselves in the way the week has been going or the day and say to ourselves, Hey, How do I want the rest of the week to be? This comes up with a lot of individuals when uh, they're on a break or they're on a vacation or I don't know, they're seeing someone long distance and the person's in town and I'll say, hey, remember, you get to decide how that vacation goes or how that weekend goes. Uh, What kind of weekend do you want it to be? Even if a client has an emergency and we, you know, hop on the phone for a quick phone or while they're away on vacation or whatever it is, I'll say, hey, listen, you still get to determine how the rest of the day goes. Do you want to repair something? Do you want to let something go? Uh, Do you want to circle back to something? So, hey, midweek, check in. You know, I guess it doesn't really matter when you're listening to this segment. Stop and say, hey, how's the day been going? Do I want to leave it behind? Remember, we're working on not making a bad morning a bad day, not making a bad moment an entirely bad day as well. Not making, you know, a bad week doesn't have to be a bad weekend. We can do that little bit of a restart, you know, hey, been kind of carrying my disappointment with me all week. I really want this weekend, you might say, to be rooted in a little bit more fun. And so I'm going to kind of spend the rest of the day sulking and then I'm going to be done. You know, so remember that we have a little bit of a sense of control over our emotions, our feelings, and our thoughts, and we can reorient ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we have to let these threads of things that have already occurred be woven throughout the rest of our day or our week. I appreciate that. That happens. But remember, what do you want to maybe leave behind? It's important for us to just do a little bit of a check in. I try to do that with myself uh, before I start my clinical work and then also after. Like, hey, I'm transitioning, I'll say to myself, from my professional clinical life into my private personal life. And those transitions matter. Listen, we don't honor the power and necessity of transitions enough in our culture. We really just go flying, coming in hot from one thing to another, right? It's like we come flying into work mode, from work mode into family mode, sometimes from work mode into friend mode, right? Meeting a friend for happy hour and you're still got work on in your mind, in your body. Remember that transitions are ways to leave that behind and step into another part of ourselves, another ego state, another part of our identity, just another part of even the world. And so I've gotten really good at that, but we we wanna do that in every area of our life, right? We don't wanna just go crashing into bed, crashing into work, crashing into social stuff. What do you need to do to transition? Um, I've talked about this, I think, a while back on the show, but when I am going into my office clinically, which I'm not doing yet, but when I am, my transition back into home life is I take a shower and or always change out of my office clothing immediately. And the minute I ritualistically, right, put on more casual clothes, like let's say whatever, a t-shirt, a pair of sweatpants, or I take a shower and then put that on, I transition into my, the home version of me, because there's so many different versions of me, and they're all me. There's the version of me who's at the office working with patients. There's the version of me who does media and is on the radio or television. There's a version of me who's with my family, a version of me with my friends, and a version of me in my romantic relationship. They're all me, but they're different ways of being in the context and co-creating with the people before me, right? Me and each of my friends create something different and bring out a different part Part of me it's why i have such a diverse social circle you know some friends bring out the more spiritual oriented self and we live and talk in those ways another friend brings out the more humorous side and we're just calling out how ridiculous the world is another friend of mine um might be someone where we talk more about professional another friend of mine is more esoteric and we're talking about philosophy and dreams and things we're writing all those are parts of yourself right and it's really hard sometimes to go for one to the other and that's why my god my heart went out to people that were having to kind of really quickly ping pong ball in and out of all of them because they were working from home and parenting from home and being, you know what I mean, always around their loved ones. And it was like, they're having to just transition so quickly. it matters, so just ask yourself, how do, what do I need to do to transition from waking up into work life or work life into home life? And it's about sometimes just recognizing that you're crossing over that threshold. Like, hey, okay, work is done, I can leave that behind. Whatever else I need to worry about, I can't do anything until tomorrow. I'm meeting my friends, I wanna show up as a friend. Like, Sometimes it's just self-talk, acknowledging that threshold, and other times we need to go through a physical shedding. I had a, um, a colleague who, based on her spirituality, which was uh, deeply Eastern influenced, she would light things or burn things or use sounds as a way to kind of release what she had just done and the connection and relationship and what was brought up and in with her last client, every client between them as a way to just kind of start new, right? Giving each new client a fresh version of you, right, and not maybe bringing in whatever's in your body from the session before into the new session, because that's not fair to come in frustrated or to come in really having sat with some deep, dark emotions, right? And we have to look at that with our personal life. You know, if you had a really rough day at work because your boss is a jerk and you're feeling it in your body and in your personality, you don't want to take that home to your family. You want to try to leave that behind and let them meet uh, what we call negative capability, like the absence of all of that and just a fresh space. Like, hey, I'm home what, you know, being curious, what's going to occur at home? What what can I create at home, right? Leaving everything behind. It's important stuff. So just track that. What kind of transitions do you have or not have? Uh, we got to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about something that makes me laugh because I think it's something that calls all of us out. It's going to be how to not be passive aggressive. Oh, yes. We are a little too familiar with a lot of passive aggressiveness. And then later in the show, we'll be talking about how to be more sex positive. Oh, yeah. We also need to work on that. Even the people that think they got that covered. We got, we got a lot of work to do. So much going on. And that topics definitely very important so we'll be back you're listening to love line with dr chris on channel q brought to you by astroglide we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month
1: new iphone 15s only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch
2: All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about how to be less passive aggressive. This topic makes me laugh. There's, there, you know, it's one of the top three to five things that people sling around, you know, you're being passive aggressive, don't be passive aggressive. And it's always one of those things. No one wants to be seen as passive aggressive, right? It, it's such a subtle, simple thing and we all have versions of it. And yet we're all so offended by... Uh, having us labeled as such right and so it just makes me laugh because i think there's pieces in this that we can all acknowledge now let's let's just discuss passive aggressiveness first before we even look at what we need to let go of or how to be different around it um it's an incomplete communication right and passive aggressiveness i don't like that word because it's aggressiveness actually even though it's supposed to be the passive form i don't think it's passive at all we all feel it it feels bad it's just aggression it's maybe aggression light but like it's still aggression and i don't want it to get a pass because it's a more passive form it's still emotional or psychologically violent at times it still doesn't feel good it's kind of like i was having this discussion on another show i was doing about uh casual racism Right? Oh, it's, 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 it's racism that's gentler or lighter. No, it's not, it's racism. Just call it racism. It, like, we don't need these qualifying t- t- uh, terms because what's the point? To, to make something more acceptable or, or more, some other forms more problematic? It's all problematic. Like, let's just be better, right? Um, and so I think passive aggressiveness is the same way. It's aggressive. It's just that we're more familiar with it or it's aggression in its, in forms that people let slip by um right it, it, but it's still a mess it's still an incomplete communication now why do we have it well a couple things some of us are in relationships with people where we don't feel as though we can actually advocate for ourselves or speak truth because the person has no ability to have difficult conversations, because the person can't tolerate intimacy, because the person believes they're in a position of power, which although people can have power over us, it's it's also a social construct that we need to get rid of, vertical power structures. We don't work for people, we work with people, right? And we don't always feel like we can advocate for ourselves. Someone might be violent. It might be an unsafe situation. It might be something that's become familiar or normal to us. Like I said, it might be someone who can't handle someone coming to them to share difficult things. We might think it's a power dynamic. But again, it's it's an attempt to re-empower yourself and to communicate something when you don't feel empowered, right? And when you are afraid to be honest. But yet you still are doing it. And so how can we be more honest and more clear? It can also make us feel confused, right? Because sometimes the passive aggressive thing is someone is clearly upset or bothered or trying to communicate something, but you can't quite figure out what it or upset about or trying to say because they're not being vulnerable or transparent enough to just make the point, you know what I mean? And so that's kind of, I guess, if you're on the receiving end, what you really need to do is lovingly and kindly understand that they're struggling with you or with being that honest or open or whatever it is, and to say, What I'm still unclear, what is it that you're really trying to communicate to me? Or, hey, I'm not really clear, what is it you're really wanting me to know? Or, hey, I'm not really clear, what have I done that has upset you? I want to be a part of fixing that. Can you be more specific? Right? They need help with being more specific or more clear. It's not your job to necessarily help everyone who's passive aggressive along, but it is if you're in a relationship with them of whatever kind, because... How they relate and communicate impacts you, and sometimes it might be because of you, and it might be a learning moment for you, but it's okay to help people we care about along. One of the rough words we use is co-regulation, and rough only in that it's not that's not a truth, that's not exactly what we're talking about, but I'm okay with people being a little interdependent and helping others along if we're further ahead or higher functioning, right? But passive aggressiveness behavior and and verbiage is a way of expressing often anger in what they think is a safer, non-hostile way, they're trying to like mask or express things in a more covert way, but like, but they're not because you, it really does still feel harsh and aggressive. And so I think we all have to work on changing that, right? So, what are some of the most common ways that passive aggressive behaviors is done? Sarcasm, which I, again, I still just find aggressive. I don't think it's a passive form of aggression. That to me is aggressive. Uh, silent treatment also feels aggressive to me. Um, making sure to run late, name calling, all sorts of ways, but it's always about a withholding, right? Um, What's also interesting is, this is how some people are brought up. For some people, it's a family of origin issue, that they were not raised in a family where people were compassionate or direct in their communication. Right? No one ever said that they were upset by something or offended or hurt. Right? They just instead lashed out and acted it out. And that's the problem with acting out. Acting out means instead of just lovingly and calmly communicating with me what happened, what you need, or that I let you down or hurt you, you behaviorally act out in a way that shows someone's upset you or you're frustrated, but we're not 100% clear who or what set you off. And so it's hard to help you. And the behavioral manifestation also makes it unsafe to really stay connected and work through whatever's going on with you, right? It's not approachable, it's not safe, you're not holding space, it's not healing, it's not gonna create the resolution you want. Um, Also in some of the research I was looking at, there's some biological and environmental factors that can contribute to this. I mean, that was kind of an interesting perspective. Uh, Some people with ADHD, if you believe in such a diagnosis, that that can lead to it, stress, Stress can be something that makes us really have a hairpin trigger response. So sometimes it's just that we're stressed out, not that we're necessarily a passive-aggressive person. We're just overwhelmed and we're not able to deal with everything that's happening. Anxiety disorders, depression, bipolar, um, drug and alcohol use during times of withdrawal. All those things are situations that might set us up to not necessarily be able to really be our best or think about you know what our goal is and how we're approaching it whether or not because remember that like passive aggressiveness or acting out it never gets the resolve because it's not a clear direct communication it's not hey this is what happened this is what i need and i want us to live in a world we can say that hey the other week you said something that let let me down can we talk about that i just did that uh, a couple days ago i said to someone hey our last phone conversation i kind of was disappointed and here's why. And they said to me in a beautiful way, thank you for telling me. I'm sorry that that happened. I'm working on not doing that. Other people have said that to me, but thank you for helping me better understand that I need to really work on that. And I was like, yeah, of course, I care about you. And they were like, I care about you. And we basically hugged and moved on. Like that's what it should be able to look like. So so try to work on that. Uh, we gotta take a little break. When we come back though, we're gonna talk about um, <clears throat> the specific ways that we can create, uh, I'm sorry, the specific ways that we can communicate in more assertive ways. Cause that's what's really about, clear Communication and assertion. All right, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. All oh, right, we're back and we're talking about passive aggressive behavior, which, you know, I was saying earlier, I think is just aggressive. <laughs> I don't think that there's anything passive about it. I, I, it's just aggressive in my mind. Uh, but we're talking about the fact that, you know, the antidote, right? Or what, what does the work look like? What are we practicing? We're practicing being more um, assertive practicing being more transparent, practicing being more vulnerable, more direct, but always done in a compassionate way. Remember, there's nothing assertive about being aggressive. We're not trying to be aggressive, we're not telling it like it is, we're not popping off. We are calmly letting someone who we care about know that something happened or what we need, and we're doing it in a way that makes it safe for them to listen and to communicate back. Notice my my word choice, notice my tone. Again, I, I, I purposefully script and say things the way I say them, so as to show what it should sound like. Start to work on creating the ability in the relationships you're already a part of, all of them, being really direct and clear with what's going on, how you feel, and what you need. Normalize that. Healthy people will respond well to that. You're a person, they're a person, but we really objectify in our culture. And um, it's that's a friend, that's an employee, that's an ex, that's a hookup, you know what I mean? That's the youngest child. Um, Whatever it is, we use these dehumanizing frames or labels as though it makes our behavior okay. It's not, it's a person, right? So what's the first step to resolve this? Well, first off, just get a better sense of yourself. One of the best ways to really move away from aggressive behavior or passive aggressive behavior is become aware of the fact that you're doing it. You have to have a sense of what does it look like? More importantly, what does it look like for me? So stop for a second and ask yourself, what would be the ways that I am aggressive or passive aggressive? What would be the forms in which I most do it? We all have an answer to that. Is it something you say or something you do? Just giving someone the silent treatment? That is a completely unclear, indirect communication. If you're upset with someone, tell them. If you need space, tell them. But to just go silent or ignore them is is aggressive. That's passive aggressive, right? So like start to ask yourself, What are the forms that, for me, it it most clearly comes out? Because for everyone, it's going to be a little bit um, different, right? But is it something that you do? Is it something that you don't do? Is it something you say? Is it something you withhold yourself from saying? And then also understand... Excuse me. Understand that it's okay to have emotional experiences. I think that's in here as well. Sometimes I think we bury it or withhold or act it out in indirect ways because we don't feel like we have a right to our anger or our frustration or our disappointment. We have shame or guilt about it, or we don't think that it's acceptable to be upset with, you know, your mom or your child. And so instead of saying, I'm really angry at you, we act out anger by running late, forgetting something they need, not calling them back, disappearing for a while. It's like none of that's gonna heal or resolve anything at all. It actually keeps the ball in the air. It keeps everyone miserable. It keeps you still angry or frustrated. No solution comes from that. The best way to to approach it, again, is clear, direct, and compassionate. Hey, I need to let you know last week you really hurt my feelings. I've been feeling so bad about it still. Can we talk about it? But again, it does mandate that your friend or whoever we're talking about has enough mental health to hear that and to not get defensive or passive aggressive in their own way. Because I remember a long time ago, I did that and I got cut out. A friend couldn't handle that. I was too intimate, too close, too honest, too transparent. But uh, I'm glad that that happened because I only want adult relationships in my adult life. And I wanna be around other emotionally intelligent adults who can handle that and talk like that. And I've curated that. It's not a matter of who does that. No one does that, Dr. Chris. Well, yeah, they do. So if this is foreign to you, it's because you you are not running around with healthy people. People that have healthy people in their life, they're like, yeah, we always do that. Or that's familiar to me. And if it isn't, you need a different social network around you. You need better role models of mental health and emotional intelligence, right? I want us to all be in relationships like that. Um, you have to be open though to these kinds of difficult conversations. Um, that's a big, 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 big part of it. Um, so again, the work is, Observing yourself, difficult work, but that's what healthy adults do. We track ourselves. We're listening to what we're saying. We're watching how we're treating people and we're going back and apologizing or cleaning up and taking accountability. So know your triggers, listen and observe yourself. Start to practice disclosing frustration, disappointment and anger with the people that you have it with. It's a practice. It's easier to practice it when it's lower level than to to try to do it when it's at its most extreme. Also, it's about... It's about self-care. It's also about self-worth. Saying, like, my mental health and how I feel is worth something. And it's worth me having a hard-to-have or difficult conversation so as to feel better or to resolve it. Right? Like it really is a big act of self-esteem because you're not just doing this for other people, you're you're also doing this for yourself. It does not feel good to be carrying this around and also in us. And it's not fair to those that are unconnected to this, that are disconnected from this, to also. Have to engage us while we have that in our mind, in our mental health, in our body, right? So it's like we do the working through, not just for the direct person in front of us we're talking about, we also do it for us and we also do it for the rest of those around us. It's about resolution and repair. And, um, you know, we come from a culture where people, you know, block people instead, cut them off, tell it like it is. Like there's just not an ethic of compassion um, or resolve and repair. We're working on it though. All right, coming up next, we're going to glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline G page. And as always, past episodes of Loveline are over at wearechannelq.com. So uh, go over there, scroll down, look for my face, click on it, and there's all the past episodes. Binge, post, share, enjoy, do your thing. Uh, But like I said, when we come back, we're going to be gliding into those DMs. Remember, any question you got or any topic you want me to cover, talk about more, drop deeper into, clarify, we'll do it. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by AstroGlide. Stick around, we'll be back. All right, we're back. Now it's time to glide into those DMs or brought to you by Astro glide.
0: Gliding into the DMs.
2: This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been married for about five years. Six months ago, I found out that my wife was cheating on me. She apologized, said she has really turned around, excuse me, and our relationship has been better. Last week, she said that she was invited to a birthday party at a house with her coworkers, and the woman she was cheating on me with will be invited. She promised me that nothing would happen, and I don't want to be that controlling wife, but I'm very skeptical. Should I be? Oh, bad. Uh, it's a funky one. Number one, if you're really working on building trust, well, then you learn to sit in that trust and, uh, you let her go and all's well. I don't want to say let she's an adult. She doesn't get let she does what she does. And that's part of this. You know, we have to let people do what they do. Being in a relationship with someone isn't about controlling them. It's about letting them live and seeing what they do and how they move through the world, how they treat us, how they treat our relationship tells us everything we need to know. So it's like, whatever comes out of you, policing, controlling, and all that, that isn't meaningful to me because that's in response to trying to control and police, right? But if you said to me, I'm practicing trust, and here's what I'm seeing my wife do, that's meaningful because what she's doing is honest, respectfully or disrespectfully, and I'd rather you learn that way. Um, I don't know how you came to find out about the cheating, but if your wife has taken accountability and has apologized and has expressed to you how she'll work to be better and all that, well then, yeah, you have to learn how to get comfort with her back out in the world. So I know some listeners are probably saying, that's shady. She shouldn't go. Da da da. But we're not children. We're adults. And as adults, we lead with respect and we work on building trust. And if you can't trust her to go, then you have a larger problem. Because if you can't trust her there, you can't trust her anywhere. Because I'm not worried about what she'll do at a public party with this woman present. I'm worried about what she'll do behind your back. And if you can't trust her, you can't trust her. So if you can't trust her to go to the party, well, then again, I'm worried on a larger scale. And if you can trust her and you want to learn how to trust, you let her go and you deal with an issue if and when it comes up. If you if she's cheating and you don't know about it, well, then all's well. I'm not saying that that's okay, but I'm saying if it, that deal with a problem when there's a problem. Um, and it was brought forward before. Let's hope it'll happen again. Share with your wife, hey, thank you for letting me know that she'll be there. That is a way to start building trust. Of course, I want you to go. I want you to have fun. I don't want to try to control, Um, but please do respect me. Let her go and have fun, and when she comes home, you say, great, how was your night? And then you hug and go to bed. You know, we have to move on. We have to move forward. People make mistakes. Cheating's a big one, but people make mistakes. Monogamy is hard. Most people fail at monogamy. The stats are actually in the person who fails favor. Most people will fail. I know, it's horrible. Some of it is because of the way we run our relationships. It sucks the soul out of our partners because we don't realize that us entering someone's life is about making their life better right? We often make it worse. And also because monogamy is difficult and people need to work on uh, their integrity. But um, she took accountability. I'm, I'm going to trust you guys have done the work you need to do. I'm going to trust that trust has been rebuilt and I'm going to trust that she's worthy of it. And so you offer that to her. And if you're proven wrong, you'll deal with whatever you find out when you find it out. And you'll sit down and say, hey, this has happened again. Help me understand why. Help me understand how I would trust you again. And we'll take it from there. You know what I mean? But until then, I want you to live in peace. So um, support her, give her a kiss, send her off. That's all we can do. I know cheating is hard. I know it hurts. I know it makes us question trust. But the only way through is through. And trying to control and police and limit, that doesn't help us learn to build trust. That doesn't create trust. And that doesn't make us feel good. So that's not the solution and if that's where you're at, which I don't think it is, so I think you're good, but if that is where you're at, I'd say you need to leave the relationship because even though it wasn't your fault what happened, you are now becoming toxic for that partner and that does matter. Just because she cheated doesn't mean her mental health doesn't matter, right? And so if you've been cheated on, listener, and they took accountability and responsibility and you're now terrorizing them with it and trying to control and all that, now you're at fault. And you need to clean that up, or they have a right to say I can't be with someone like that. If they've taken accountability and done the work to rebuild trust, if they have it, then you should leave, hundred percent. All right, y'all. That is that. If you have a DM for us, put it in the DMs on our Love Line AG page. Coming up next, we're going to talk about how to reconnect with our sexuality. you listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris, brought to you by Astroglide. Stick around. We'll be back.
0: Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide.
1: All right,
2: we're back and we're talking about sex positivity. Oh man, yeah. You know, this also came up for me because for those that aren't aware, it is Pride Month and there's a big battle going on on social media and with organizations themselves where they were talking a lot about kink and sexuality. And it's like, well, a lot of being in the LGBTQA community is about sex. It's about partner choice of gender, the gender of a partner choice. That's a better way to say it. Um, that's often what people are responding to um, is their perception of someone's sexuality or gender expression. Um, But bigger than that, for some people, that's their stake in the community, is the gender of the partner they have or the kind of sex they have, and that big old LGBTQIA plus umbrella includes people that are sexual or asexual, people that are pan or bi. Uh, Sexuality is a, a big part of that, but bigger than that, it's something as a culture we need to get more familiar with. The work around something that makes us uncomfortable or afraid isn't leaning away, it's leaning in, learning how to encounter, learning how to talk about, learning how to be more present with, and the bummer is I work with a lot of individuals as adults now that as a child were in very sex-negative environments. And now as an adult, they're trying to figure out how can I have a better and more comfortable relationship to my body, to my sexuality, to give my partner the kind of sex like they want. It's difficult work, but people that are have already been marginalized or exploited, it can be really hard for them to feel empowered in their sexuality, right? It's a very vulnerable thing, but that's also, for many, very transformative entry point for healing. If you're in a body that the world has told you isn't desirable or legitimate or attractive because you're black, you're a person of color, you're indigenous, you're fat, you're disabled, you're queer, you're femme, whatever we're talking about, sexuality then gets to become very healing because you have worth and desire reflected back every time you step into your sexuality and eroticism, whether it's with the partners you're with or with yourself. You're saying, I, I, I have worth and value. Right, And so eroticism can be very healing and its presence is very necessary. Um, It's also something that children need to get more familiar with and that's why we need better sex education. So they have tools and language and understand boundaries for everything that's coming down the road. We have a very sexualized culture. Even though we're afraid of it and have anxiety, it's very sexualized. Um, That's not good or bad, it just is. And it's definitely not a bad thing if we arm everyone with the right languaging and understanding boundaries and familiarity with everything. So sex positivity Um, is really about dismantling the shame that our culture imposes on sex, right? We shame nurses and doctors for having, you know, sexy pics on their Instagram, even though that has nothing to do with their education or competence or ability to fulfill their role. We tell therapists that they're not allowed to be on Tinder, which, again, is a very bizarre, violent thing. Everyone's allowed to be human. Um, We gender it, right, where we have a different... level of accountability for female sexuality versus male sexuality it's also racialized there's so many stereotypes and tropes that we need to get rid of there's so much work to do um and what we're really just trying to create in the world of sex positivity is the idea that sex isn't bad or wrong. It's what people choose to do with it, but that sex can be healing and it doesn't have to always be suspect. This comes up a lot where I look at um, interns or trainees and they have no classes at all in their entire curriculum that ever addresses sex. Maybe they have a human sexuality course, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's usually bare bones, basic stuff. So that's even for people in the mental health field, people in the wider world, even more so. And yet sex is something we encounter now at a very young age via social media, media and our our peer group. Um, So sex positivity is just about understanding that creative diverse sexuality isn't bad, that everyone's entitled to the sexuality they have, that we don't need to be afraid talking about sex or acknowledging sex and in fact we need to. Um, And I wanna talk about what are the steps we can take to start to build that kind of world with ourselves and those around us. Um, If not my listeners, who? And I say that when I'm lecturing to the people in my classes. I'll say to them, I have to ask you all to to help carry this work forward, because if not you, then who? A lot of people don't think that this is a meaningful thing. So sex positivity helps young people, like I said, gets rid of guilt, it gets rid of shame. It helps us learn skills and communication and boundaries and consent, right? Um, So let's talk about the ways though that we can start to build sex positivity. The first off is examine your feelings around sex. Are you sex negative? meaning you think sex is bad and wrong. Are you sexually anxious, meaning, well, you don't think it's bad or wrong, but you're a little insecure, you're not sure how to talk about it, it makes you blush, right? Are you sex positive, where you talk about it openly, proudly, and confident in appropriate places and spaces and appropriate ways, right? Or are you maybe sexually abusive or and traumatizing, do you use sex to harm others? Have others said, after having sex with you or having been romantic with you or even in a conversation around sexuality with you, do they feel worse off or bad? Because it shouldn't be weaponized. I've said this before on the show, and, and I stand behind this, I love this metaphor, that sex is like you know, going to see a movie or eating dessert. It should just be something that has a positive to negative impact. It shouldn't make us worse off or feel bad. Eat, you know, Eating a dessert is time and space for ourselves, with ourselves, with someone else, but it's about joy and pleasure right? And that's its only goal. Sex gets very, very, very misused and manipulated and weaponized and confused. And we don't have a great relationship to it. and creates a lot of problems. Uh, Let's, yeah, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll keep talking about ways to move towards more sex positivity. It's work we got to do. And the more we do it for ourselves, the more we help, uh, you know, do it for everyone else. You're listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by AstroGlide. Stick around. We'll be back. All right. We're back and we're talking about sex positivity, uh, important work, work for all of us. Love doing that kind of work. And the first thing I was saying is we have to examine our feelings. Like what kind of relationship do you have with sex? That tells you where the work is. If you're mm-hmm. anxious, you got to get more confident. If you're sex negative, you think it's bad. You got to work on getting more positive and seeing the good in it. Right. Um, if you weaponize it and harm people with it, including yourself, you have to say, I need a healthier relationship to sex. I want it to be something where I walk away feeling better off and so do other people. Right. It shouldn't be a source of harm. Um, so know, first off, that there's also no right way to be sex positive. Sex positivity does not mean that it's bad or wrong to be vanilla. Sex positivity is not, if it isn't kinky or dirty or filthy or taboo, then it's not. No, sex positivity means you do you and I'll do me. Sex positivity means you're entitled to what turns you on and arouses you as long as it's consensual and safe and legal. And I'm allowed to do the same thing, right? Um, and for some people, being sex positive means honoring that they want something more vanilla, more basic, more monogamous. Awesome. Sex positivity is how is your attitude actually around sex? It's not so much what you do, it's how you do it, it's your attitude, but it's not the specifics of what you do. I never say, tell me what you do sexually, and I'll type your sex positive. I'll say, tell me how you talk about sex, how you feel about it, how you encounter it. Are you having sex that's honest for who you are and what you want? That's sex positive. Owning that you're monogamous around a bunch of, you know, wild poly radicals, saying, Yeah, but I'm monogamous. That's sex positivity. Or the inverse. You're with your family members and they're all vanilla, and you're like, I'm poly or I'm open or whatever it is. That's sex positive. Truth, empowerment. Talk about all the genders you enjoy. But it's important to know there's no specific path. And I think that that gets thrown off. Um, it's just about destigmatizing, you know, especially the non normative pieces. What works for one person doesn't necessarily work for everyone else, but I just want everyone to feel good, right? So it's not about, again, what you're doing, it's, it's the languaging, the attitude, and how. You're going about engaging others and your own sexuality, right? Um, because again, we all have work to do around that. Because shame, shame is outside in, right? Just like self-esteem is mostly outside in, and so we have to be very sensitive and aware of the worlds in which we we live. What are the messages we're getting? Are they the healthy ones or unhealthy ones? We have to. We want to really manage that. We talk about that in terms of even uh, your relationship to your body. What kinds of things are you seeing and hearing? And we can't learn to love the body we have if it's non-normative, if we're only in non-normative, if we're only in normative conversations and normative spaces and normative media. If I'm working with someone who's learning to love their body that's maybe disabled, right, or larger sized or whatever we're talking about, they have to find community that also is as such. They have to find material, books, social media, podcasts that's reflecting back the beauty and value of that body therapists that do that. We need to wrap it around ourselves. We've been living in a culture that's wrapped around ourselves saying the opposite. Sex is the same way. So listen to the messaging that those around you have about sex, because that might be where you start. Hey, you might say to your friends, let's actually be more supportive and sex positive as a group of friends. Let's not slut shame. Let's not mock what people are turned on by. Let's be supportive. We might say to a partner or a loved one or a friend, hey, I'm going to stop you. It's a little sex negative, and I'm working really hard on only thinking in terms of sex positively. We can talk about things that are bad or wrong, but I don't want to inherently just be sex negative, right? So we have to correct people around us and be very careful about what it is we're uh, digesting psychologically, right? Because a good way to maintain sex positivity, thinking, feeling, embodiment is when others around you aren't. So at least have that internal piece. When those around us are not sex positive or body supportive or body positive, we have to have some internal anchor, right? So we have to do that work first so we can go back in and confidently occupy that space. Because remember, our culture is obsessed with conformity and assimilation and being normal. That's one of the top questions that comes in my office, even if it's indirectly, is am I normal? Is it okay if I dot, dot, dot? We all wanna be normal, we all wanna fit in, but a lot of the things that are required to think and feel and how to act aren't healthy. And so this might be a little disruptive in your world or your social group, right? But you have, to, you have to get a little more confident in who you are, and we can do that before we step into the social world with things we're reading, podcasts we're listening to. Listen, it's a practice. Every single day, I have to practice mental health. Every single day, I have to practice spirituality. Every single day, I have to practice not tying my worth and value to money and career and what I earn. It's a daily practice, because the world wants to take that away from you. They want you to be sex negative. They don't want you to think in terms of mental health. They want you to tie yourself to consumerism. So it's a daily practice. I myself have to have the right friends where we're talking about things in the way I want to think and feel and the things I'm reading, right? We have to, we have to really curate that world around us. Another way to start being more sex positive is to start communicating openly. If you can't or you won't, is it because it's not a safe environment? Is it because of the maturity of the person I'm around? Is it because I don't physically feel safe? Is it because it's unfamiliar to me? Is it because it's too vulnerable and makes me anxious? Unpack that because a major step is open communication with the right people, friends, partners, being able to ask the right questions, talk about things you like and don't like. And if we can't do that, we have to ask ourselves again, is that our work or is that about the worlds I'm participating in that maybe I need to move away from or try to actively change? Because you need community and you need allies. It is really hard for us to live in the world in a certain way or see the world a certain way if we are not surrounded by like-minded people and things. Like really remember that, right? And that's why like academia, if you wanna start thinking like a therapist, you go to therapy school, you get friends that are therapists, you read things that are therapy minded and give you that kind of lens and perspective, you, you develop it. Well, we have to do that with mental health too. And sex positivity is a part of mental health because that's our attitude towards sex, which is something that we can choose to deny and ignore, but that doesn't mean it goes away and doesn't exist. It does. In fact, we empower it when we do that. So we have to find sex-positive friends and peers. Luckily, with social media, it's a lot easier to find these days, right? Because if apps have more options to really present who we are and to find someone who also does, um, and a lot of community is built on social media. I love that. You know, we lost Tumblr, which had a lot of options on there. But, um, you know, Twitter accounts, IG, Facebook pages, all things like that are another way to really kind of build that in and, um, excuse me, have more frequent encounters with it. Uh, We're going to take a little break and then we'll come back and finish up our talk on working on more sex positivity, and then uh, we'll be gliding into those DMs. Thank you, Astro Glide. So if you got a DM for us or a question or comment, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, follow us back, but we'll be back. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back and we're just finishing up our talk on sex positivity, the importance of it. It's a mental health issue, it's also a social justice issue. Um, Really important work and the more we can remove that level of violence or oppression or prejudice, helps all the other levels. That's why I love sex first because it's such a punchy triggering thing. If we can do the work around sex positivity and sexual confidence, it makes it easier for us to sometimes call out other things, you know, it's all intertwined. Uh, So we were leaving off with the fact that you need allies and community. So go online, a lot of resources. Um, Also trying to help some people that are important to you work through. You can kind of model for them. I can both be a competent parent or I can also be a competent professional and also be very sex positive. Both can exist. One doesn't undermine the other or illegitimize the other. In fact, that's a really radical act in our culture and that we need more of that. Um, but There's also a piece about, like I said, your relationship to yourself. So start exploring your body. Have you ever touched your entire body? Why, why not? What parts do you ignore? Why and why not? What parts do you go for when you have sex with yourself or sex with someone else? And that's also where sex positivity and body positivity uh, really intersect is our sexual body. What do we what do we let be seen and not be seen? What do we let be touched and, and what do we touch? And what is that about? And is there a way to shift that? Can we let ourselves be more seen? Can we let other parts of our bodies be touched? Can we turn on the lights? And this is where it gets very intersectional because our gender's in there. Some people that identify as a man will say, well as a man I can only let certain parts of my body be engaged sexually or touched. That's actually not true. And that's a form of toxic masculinity is limiting the sexual body to maybe just our genitals. And same thing with your partner choice. Whether your partner's a man or someone non-binary or female, how you approach their body is rooted in all of this. Because our total body has capacity to give us pleasure, but we gender it, and that shifts what we'll let be touched or not touched. Then we bring our sexual orientation, and we'll say, well, I'm straight, so I can't allow, if I'm a guy and I'm straight, then I can't allow myself to ever get penetrated. None of that's real or true. Anything a heterosexual person does is heterosexual sex, just like anything someone who's a male wears is male clothing. If a male wears a dress, dresses then are for men. We have to get away from this idea that there's one way of being, right? And that's part of sex positivity is, again, exploring our entire body. A very, very very powerful journey. A lot comes up when I have clients doing that work. Like, what will you allow to be seen and not seen? What will you touch and not allow to be touched? What would it mean if we expanded beyond that? What kind of liberations on the other side of that? I jokingly say, and I really still mean it in some ways, that as soon as all cis hetero men will allow themselves to engage in anal sex, meaning them on the receiving end, I know that my work here is done because we've really dismantled toxic uh, uh, masculinity and we've moved into sex positivity and we're rejecting gender and sexual orientation because all of those labels are necessary at first in our journey to give us form and legitimacy and a label and we build community and we fight for rights but then there's a part where we realize that these things limit us and they're only a metaphor and they don't explain our totality and we're more than that and then we start leaking outside and pushing on those boundaries and at some point just get rid of all of them right that's why I say all the time these gender terms sexual orientation terms they become traps later in our life for a lot of people. They limit us. They really limit what we'll imagine for ourselves and what we'll try to do. Uh, Sex positivity is also talking about consent. We can't go wrong with talking about consent, informed consent. So it's not only that they wanna do something, but people in our lives are aware of what it also means, what we're also asking. Consent is something that applies sexually and non-sexually. Don't invite someone to go on a picnic with you if they're also not informed enough to consent and don't know that you're going to surprise them by bringing someone else or they don't drink and you're going to you know, try to hide alcohol from them. Well, then they haven't consented. We can only consent when we've been informed of the total uh, what's going to happen in the experience and we've said yes. Um, self-love we talked about exploring your body and your, uh, anatomy. We talked about another part of sex positivity is building in space and time for sex. Not if I say to a client, when's the last time you were sexual with yourself or someone else? If they say it's been forever, why, why are you not prioritizing that? Why are you not spending time in that joy and pleasure and that embodiment it's self care, masturbation, whether with porn or not sex with partners, that's a form of self care. That's a form. that's an act of mental health why are we not engaging in more of that it actually also reduces rates of cancer breast and prostate cancer et cetera, etc cetera, et cetera. it's good for our immune system it's good for our um uh, uh muscle tone right our pelvic floor muscle tone like all of these things tie in so if someone's not engaging in sexuality itself or other if they're asexual great makes sense but if they are partnered sexual or solo sexual i want to understand why they're not engaging in sex with themselves you know So ask yourself that. Why do you avoid it? Why do you not carve out space for it? What comes up for you when I say all the things we're talking about? Like that's another really important part of this. What what parts of this topic trigger me? Can I imagine moving into the world differently? So identify an area that you want to work on this. More time- Setting aside for sex or while I'm having sex with myself, masturbating or sex with someone else, I'm going to actually move slower and extend the amount of time I engage in it or I'll allow other parts of my body to be utilized and touched or I'll get consent and touch more of my partner's body and ignore gender and sexual orientation, those confines, right? Or I'm going to start to talk more openly and confidently about sex, right? Find an entry point, start to do that work. And then, you know, you're on the, you know, you're, you're on that journey. But we all need to know what our work is and know that it's a, you know, it's a daily practice. It's a cultural practice. All right, we're going to take a little break. And then when we come back, we're going to glide into those DMs. So if you've got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. We'll be back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue.
0: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
2: All right, y'all. We are back, and now it's time to glide into those DMs.
0: Gliding into the DMs.
2: This question says, "Hey, Dr. Chris, my mom and I listen to your show a lot. I'm 15." I've been thinking of transitioning. She asked me to reach out to you to see if you had any advice. I know it's a big decision and it's irreversible. Well, it depends. It's not always irreversible, but let's go with that. But I've been thinking about it for as long as I can remember. I guess my question is, how do I know if this is what I really want to do? Um, I love this question. I love more how supportive your mom is. I love that you are in a relationship with your parent where you can talk this openly and vulnerably with them. I want that for so many other people as well. So I just want to start it by saying that, like you have a great mom. I like that your mom was like, I hear you, let's talk about it, let's ask questions, let's look at resources, because that's what it's really about. Um, And you're 15, and when we're 15, you know, it's a that's a oh my God, that's a very funky, funky time. I remember when I was 15, I didn't know what was going on, and I wasn't able to have a good relationship with my parents at that age. It was it was me, and I'm glad that you do. And thank you for listening to the show. Um, I don't want to give you just off the cuff advice because I have so many questions and it's a very personalized thing. So I would say do your homework, look for resources, join some organizations, connect to community, maybe talk to a therapist. But I don't have any generalized advice for people that are wanting to transition because it doesn't work like that. It's very individualized. What you're seeking, why, what you want, what you hope will happen, what are the different paths available to you, looking at finances, helping you build social support. Those are the things I want you to cover. What is my goal? What am I seeking, right? What does transitioning mean? Am I talking about psychologically? Am I talking about identity? Am I talking about physicality, right? What kind of reading have I done? What kind of community support resources do I have? Have I maybe talked to a mental health practitioner to really process this further? Make sure you choose one that's definitely the kind of person that's able to help you through something like this because you're gonna need some support. Your mom's already on board in a certain way, that's awesome, but I think you have more homework to do and you guys should uh, get into some conversations, some community building, resources, uh, talk to the doctor about what treatment looks like if you're looking at surgery, right? What does it entail? What does it cost? Insurance, like there's so many pieces. And transitioning for everyone doesn't even always involve surgery or physicality. For some people it's about identity, right? Or Uh, how they perform gender, or it's just about pronouns, or it's just about a name change, right? Really finding out who you are and who you want to be in the world. So it's a journey, so go on that journey, but it sounds like your mom's on board with you, that's awesome, but there's a little bit more work to do, and that's the best broad advice I can really give you. But I'm glad that we're living in a time when a lot of resources are available. However, so much work to do, because there's a lot of states that are trying to take away trans healthcare, and the ability for individuals to help support trans individuals getting the care they need. So that's a battle that's raging wildly right now. So we definitely have to be better about that, but um, much a much better time, and that's why we're seeing the raising numbers of people identifying as trans, and queer, and gay, and bisexual, is because it's safer not safest, but safer, more resources, more community. It's more acknowledged, right? We have role models. We're seeing people on television. So people are realizing it's an option and it's possible. They're watching people go through it and and thriving. And uh, that's why we're seeing those numbers rise, constantly looking at studies around the world of the numbers of people from that umbrella community just expanding. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, it was never, we were never going to just stay in that binary of everyone's a male or a female, whatever you're diagnosed with as birth is just who you're going to be. I like that people can live more authentically and move more into truth. So I'm proud of you for processing. I'm proud of you for sharing who you are. And I look forward to seeing all the beautiful things you do in the world, you know, but you got a little more work to do. Um, But good on your parent and all the parents out there. You know, you got to love your kid. That's your job, meeting them where they're at not them fulfilling the vision you had as to who you wanted them to be. That's crappy parenting. It's not about you, right? Parenting is a mirror being held up. It shows us where our work is. Your struggles with your kids are your struggles. Resolve them. Your child's helping you learn where you need healing, where your wounds are, where your work is, you know? And our job is to be a good caregiver for our parent and help them on their journey. So well done, mom. All right, y'all. That is our show. We'll be back tomorrow talk about asexuality. Ah, yes. It's still Pride Month. We're going to be covering it all. And then talk about how to get more comfortable in our bodies because summer's here and the body Negativity is everywhere. If you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. And past episodes of Love Line is over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, and click on it, and there they all are. And thank you, Astroglide. Astroglide. The dms are brought to you by them, so check them out. Awesome products. And as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. And you enjoy the rest of your night.
0: Gliding into the DMs.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news.